The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Breaking news tonight. President Trump's attorneys responding to House Democrats on the impeachment just within the last hour. I'll bring you that letter live from the White House, what they had to say. Meanwhile, Jobs Day, Jobs Market's decade end bang risks fizzling in the less roaring. 20s. That's the headline on the Bloomberg terminal. Smashing expectations, booming expectations. The latest on the job payroll gain of 266,000 jobs added in the last month. Uh, All of that plus the latest on the 2020 campaign trail and on the trade front. We begin tonight with serious news. Reading from the AP, an aviation student from Saudi Arabia opened fire in a classroom at the Naval Air Station Pensacola on Friday morning, the Florida governor said, an attack that left three dead in addition to the assailant. Joining me now here live in studio, Ben Chang. He, of course, is the former White House National Security Council Director of Communications. Currently, he serves as the Deputy Vice President for Communications and Spokesperson for Princeton University. Uh, Also with me in studio, Al Weaver, National Political Reporter at The Hill, and Eli Yokely, a political reporter for Morning Consult. Ben, uh, Saudi Arabia has put out a statement saying that they have been in contact with the White House. The president has spoken with Saudi officials regarding this. Twelve people were hurt in this attack, including two sheriff's deputies, according to the Associated Press, who were the first to respond, one of whom killed the shooter. Uh, And meanwhile, the shooting takes place in one classroom and the shooter used a handgun, according to authorities. Uh, President Trump declined to say whether the shooting was terrorism related, but currently let's focus on the breaking news situation. Saudi state media did not immediately report on the shooting, but the kingdom has relied on the U.S. to train the military. Look, our first thought is to the uh, those injured and those um, who responded, and we're grateful that uh, this um, incident um, has ended. It does, of course, bring back uh, memories of uh, similar situations and does call into question not only the safeguards we have in place, but uh, or overall relations with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I mean, this is without question one of the Navy's most historic bases. And this is the second shooting. This is the second shooting at a U.S. naval base this week alone. There was uh, a submarine that was docked at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where it opened fire on three civilian employees on Wednesday, killing two. 
before before taking his his own life. So take us behind the scenes in in terms of what uh, our national security officials in the government right now are doing and military officials are doing. Um, Heading into this weekend, absolutely. So, well, the, the first thing that 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 um, the National Security Council would do, and all the agencies involved, is uh, be in a heightened state of alert. And so, uh, whether you see it or not, uh, whether you're in Washington or outside of Washington, whether you're near these bases or in them, um, extra measures are being taken. Extra precautions uh, are being put in place. Uh, what's very important is the messaging that we've seen both from the White House and from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia that no one is uh, going too far in speculating exactly what happened. Um, there's measured tones. We need to get to the bottom of how uh, this occurred. Uh, to be sure, on the domestic side, Department of Homeland Security and others are going to take into account the, the, the fact there were two shootings to the point you made. That's of grave concern. And we're also going to have to uh, heighten our intelligence efforts around the world um, and look at vulnerabilities we might have at bases overseas as well. This is of great concern that this happened on the homeland. Politically speaking, Governor Ron DeSantis, a Republican, the Florida governor, said that he has spoken uh, to President Trump with regards to the Saudi Air Force connection with regards to that. From the White House, the president tweeting out just this afternoon, quote, King Salman of Saudi Arabia just called to express his sincere condolences and give his sympathies to the families and friends of the warriors who were killed and wounded in the attack that took place in Pensacola, Florida. The king said that the Saudi people are greatly angered by the barbaric actions of the shooter and that this person in no way, shape or form represents the feelings of the Saudi people who love the American people. So again, folks, this is the second time this week that there's been a shooting, a deadly shooting at a U.S. Navy base. I mean, it is it it, it is thought it just the news, unfortunately. And Kevin, it's uh, it, you know, look, we're entering the holiday season. Um, we're constantly reminded that uh, there are people who put their lives on the line here uh, at home and overseas. Um, and sometimes this is the, the, the price that they paid for our, for our safety and security. At the same time, so much needs to be done uh, to make sure that we have uh, the safeguards in place and that we get to the bottom of exactly how this happened. Uh, at least three people killed, uh, several injured. This is something that um, we will have agencies working overtime on uh, through the weekend, to be Mean, sure. Pivoting now to other developments live from Capitol Hill, where the White House has sent a letter, Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult, saying that the White House will not participate, will not participate in the impeachment proceedings. What can you tell us? Well, I think it's building on President Trump's perspective on all that that's happened so far. I mean, we've seen them, them take a pretty strong position against the House Intelligence Committee. I, I think that's what we're going to see uh, as this plays out in the rest of the House. We saw some reporting earlier this week about senators saying that the White House wants to take a, a much heavier role when it comes to the, or if it comes to the Senate for a, a trial. So we'll see how, how things change there. Um, somehow Trump has got to get his message out there that, you know, half the public right now says that they support the impeachment of him and removing him from office. This is not moving, but it's not getting any better for him. Hold that thought. I want to dive into the morning consult polls that you guys have this week. I mean, I'm addicted to morning consults polling. Uh, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I almost said so. Um, Al Weaver, before Al Weaver, national political reporter at the Hill. Al, uh, this letter, this letter that was sent out just at 4:40 p.m. I was re I was literally reading it on my phone while I was prepping for the show. And the White House will not participate in Monday's hearing by the House Judiciary Committee, yep. according to, to White House Counsel Pat Cipollone. 
All right, so Pat says that the impeachment inquiry is a quote-unquote abuse of power in his letter to Chairman Jerry Nadler. House Democrats have wasted enough of America's time with this charade, Cipollone writes, and uh, you should end this inquiry now and not waste even more time with additional hearings. Adopting articles of impeachment would be a reckless abuse of power by House Dems. I mean, I actually think it's the one thing behind the scenes should they, should if there were to exist bipartisan back rooms anymore in, in Washington, D.C., where Speaker Pelosi and President Trump would say, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I kind of do want a, a fast impeachment process so we can put this whole saga behind us. Well, just uh, one one aside, I, I think it's funny that it's a kind of an abuse of power off. You know, uh, Cipollone says the Democrats are doing it about abuse of power. They're obviously saying in the report that Trump is anyway. Um, I think the I think one of the things that's interesting, you know, we we talk about this letter that came out today, and one of my a couple of my colleagues, Morgan Schalfant and Brett Samuels, had a really good piece yesterday, basically talking about how you know one of the, the reason the White House isn't going going along with this is because they view this as an Ill illegitimate investigation. They that they don't want to legitimize something that they don't you know find credence in. And there's a reason why they're not or they're not um, cooperating with this, and I think that's the main reason. And um, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a gut move on the president's part. That's my opinion, at least. That's my take. Um, and you know, we're going to see where this goes. I don't I don't know if it's going to help them that they're not playing into it, but you know, this is the least surprising thing as far as I can tell uh, on the president's end. You know what? You know what was very surprising was last night at the Wizards game, just seeing my Sixers completely get destroyed. I was there too. It was horrible. Everybody was there. It was like it was and once so again, bad. there's more I, Washington. I I'm not trying to knock you, but there's always more Philly fans in a in a Philly Washington matchup in the stadium for whatever reason. Maybe it's because we're from Philadelphia, but it, they were awful. So, I mean, yeah. you know, it's been a tough week if you're a Philadelphia <laughs> sports fan. Coming up, much more reaction on Jobs Day. Panel stays Eli Yokely, Al Weaver, Ben Chang. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes and Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and I'm sorry I was a little bit off mic when we kicked off the show, but I readjusted. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent with Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. My guests are Al Weaver, National Political Reporter at The Hill, Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult, and Ben Chang, who is the former White House National Security Counsel. Director of Communications. And Maddie Dumpler, I finally reached her. She's going to call in. It's Jobs Day. And I can't do Jobs Day without Maddie Dumpler uh, to, to break down everything. All right. Well, here to break down everything on the 2020 campaign trail is Eli Yokely. All right. So where do things stand for the Democrats as we head into this? Because people are going after Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. They're going yeah. after him hard. Yes. He's kind of been on the rise. Lauren, Elizabeth Warren's been falling. And we have this wild card right now about Kamala Harris. Um, we did an interesting study this week that found that of her 5% support that she had before she dropped out of the race, it's split about evenly among everybody. It doesn't, it's, it's about a wash. 
Um, they Some of them go to Bernie, some of them go to Warren, some of them go to Biden, and, and Buttigieg is kind of hanging out there. Uh, over the past few months, we've really seen Elizabeth Warren fall. It really started whenever she got into this uh, debate about Medicare for all and health care that has uh, sort of defined her campaign up to this point. And the biggest beneficiary of that we've seen has been Mayor Pete. So this is a, a real contender that's Well, listen to what Senator her. Elizabeth Warren had to say today where she went after Buttigieg uh, and about his disclosures from working out McK working at McKinsey as well as some of his donors. Here's Senator Elizabeth Warren. Mayor Pete should open up the doors so that anyone can come in and report on what's been listed. Uh, those doors shouldn't be closed and no one should be left to wonder what kind of promises are being made to the people that have been pony up big bucks to be in the room. Terrible audio. I, I, I mean, I, I, like, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but she, if, if you can make if you can make it out, yeah. what she said was that uh, he should he should disclose. Yeah. No, I think the the striking thing about Buttigieg right now is, uh, or excuse me, about Elizabeth Warren is that. Uh, Throughout her campaign, she's really made it a point not to specifically go after candidates. Like she hasn't done that until the last month. They obviously, went after uh, Mike Bloomberg uh, after he got in. Uh, say he's trying to buy the election, and now right now she's going after Buttigieg, and I think that's interesting. And then the other thing for Buttigieg, he's kind of getting on both sides at this point, uh, more so than anybody. Progressives are angry Who's at the him. other side. Uh, Biden. He's getting uh, it from Biden, saying that he that he stole his like directly. He said he stole his Medicare, his uh, public option plan uh, earlier this week. So uh, he's starting to get it on both sides a little bit. It's a little bit, a little bit of a squeeze. Buddha judges read. Feeling. I, I, I'm blanking on which publication, but today it was essentially how it, it was pretty much like Joe Biden survives despite the Twitter mob and like every single scandal that Twitter has said is going to annihilate. Uh, Joe Biden. It, it really hasn't even. It hasn't made a dent. It's because it, his supporters aren't on Twitter. Well, also it's because <laughs> never. I'm not gonna. Just I'm saying, not even gonna. A lot go of them are on Twitter. Gonna, so. Go ahead. I mean, whenever we look at, we've done studies on on business issues, and yes. whenever United had a scandal. Um, mm. Over over a, a dog or something. There was a scandal involving them, <laughs> and it was a big dog. deal. It was a big deal. I was thinking of like the the Boeing thing. Go ahead. No. It was a big deal on yeah. Twitter, and the Twitter mobs got really fired up. And then the Twitter things kind of calmed down. But throughout this, their uh, brand didn't really take a hit. And it's sort of like the same thing with Biden. It's he has these Twitter scandals that fire up all the lefties you on Twitter. You know what Twitter is? What's that? Twitter is the high school cafeteria where everybody fights. And then they have to go to Mr. Roper's English class. And no one says a word because it's professional again. Yeah, it's a bubble. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. just people living in their news bubbles. Yeah. And so you think that everything's bad about Joe Biden. It's spray paint. Uh, take a listen to what John Kerry, John Kerry, former Secretary of State, campaigning with Joe Biden today out in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Your neck of the woods, Ben Chang. Not Cedar Rapids, Iowa, but John Kerry. Take a listen to <laughs> okay. <Kerry. laughs> Princeton's in New Jersey. Just no, to clarify. no, but I met yes. John Kerry. It's Friday. Secretary take a listen. <laughs> take here. Play, play the thing, Ko. Thank We've you. We've known each other a long time, but we spent 24 years together in the United States Senate. We worked together as a team. The only team that's worked more closely than us is Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. So listen, what, what we're hearing here is this is the Joe Biden that you know. Uh, he was reliable. Uh, he's the one uh, that can uh, get the mach machinery of Washington moving to get uh, the results that you need. I think that's the message that uh, Secretary Kerry is delivering uh, that I hear on the trail. Uh, and then slipping in the don't forget uh, the more insidious pairings are, are the pairings like Putin and Trump. All right. All right. So, Eli, come in here. I mean, it, 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 this McKinsey stuff, is it going to stick with Buttigieg? 
I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, that's sort of, that's kind of in the weeds. I here, think right? I think it kind of is, but it has the potential to stick because it it, it it it's it's a double attack in terms of the disclosure, but also the African American. I do think Pete Buttigieg had a strong week with those trio of Obama Obama endorsements, particularly Reggie Love, because Reggie is an insider and Reggie can go down to South Carolina, not draw crowds, maybe he could. But, but more so, he knows exactly who to talk to in South Carolina, exactly who to talk to in Iowa, in New Hampshire, uh, to, to maybe give him some, yeah. some inroads across multiple different constituencies. Look, on paper, Mayor Pete is a strong candidate. Yeah. He's where the Democratic Party is today. This is not a lefty party. I mean, you, you poll Democrats, and half of, the, half of them identify as moderate or conservative. They're with him. They want somebody who can build on Obama's legacy and expand on it. And that, that's his message on the campaign trail. And so and to have those folks is very helpful. Um, he does have a challenge with black voters, and that's a big part of the Democratic base. Um, and right now, they're all going to Joe Biden. All right, coming up, we're going to talk policy. We're also going to talk Jobs Day. Maddie Duppler is going to call in and break down the latest jobs numbers. And I, I got to retract something I said. I said it was a rough week for Philadelphia sports fans, but the Cowboys lost last night. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I hate to say it, it doesn't make you look as good. Of course, being a vain person, that's very important to me. Uh, it's like, uh, it gives you an orange look. I don't want an orange look. <laughs> Has anyone noticed that? <laughs> so oh. I'll have to change those bulbs at at least a couple of rooms where I am in the White House. <laughs> He doesn't want to look orange. President Trump speaking earlier today at the White House about light bulbs. And I, I, that was probably the funniest thing I've heard all week, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. Ben Chang's here. Ben, you at, you're at Princeton now. You're the previous uh, comms director for the National Security Council. Uh, but you do this thing at Princeton for an imprisoned uh, graduate yes. of Princeton. Tell me where things stand. Zhui Wang, a graduate student, uh, American, uh, was studying, researching uh, Persian history uh, and imprisoned three year, over three years ago in Evan Prison in Iran. Uh, he has been separated from his family uh, and in, in um, difficult conditions for the past three years. Uh, and we continue to advocate for his release. We believe that uh, his detention is uh, unlawful and unwarranted. Uh, the United Nations has weighed in, uh, as has the administration, and we continue to hope for his uh, speedy return to his family. His young son, who's six years old, and his wife uh, continue to, um, uh, uh, to not only miss uh, their husband and father, uh, but hope for his return as soon as possible. All right. I, I want to pivot now. That's amazing work. And please keep us updated on that. 
Uh, I want to pivot now to uh, a headline that really grabbed my attention this week. Blame the financial crisis for more expensive Christmas trees. Consumers from the Bloomberg Terminal. Consumers in the market for a Christmas tree can expect to pay more for this year as a shortage of Christmas trees has led to higher prices, thanks in part to the lingering effects of the 08 financial crisis. The average price. What do you think, Eli Yokely of a political reporter from Morning Consult and Al Weaver? We're going to have a game right now. National political reporter at The Hill. I want you both to tell me what you think the average price per Christmas tree is last year versus 2008. Where do you hear this? Um, last year? Yeah, well, because we don't know this year's average uh, price. 60 bucks. You think it's 60 bucks for a Christmas tree? Yeah, sure. What do you think? Uh, 37. Uh, no. No, no, not at all. Uh, Maddie Duppler's on the line. Maddie Duppler, I'm going to ask you the same question. What do you think the average price is for a Christmas tree? Well, Kevin, I will tell you I overpaid because we were trying to get one before Thanksgiving, and I think we ended up paying like 65 or 70 bucks yeah, for our Christmas tree, which is insane. Okay, so the average price for a Christmas tree last year, and that's the most recent data, is $78. Guess what it was okay. in 2008 before the financial collapse? You ready for this? $37. Yeah, baby! Yes. Okay, we can't scream. <laughs> uh, oh yes. my gosh, that hurt my ears. People, I apologize on behalf of Al Weaver for screaming into Sorry. the microphone. Oh, all right, well, let's get some more financial data from our good friend Maddie Dupler because the jobs numbers came out. 266,000 jobs added in the month of November, and that's a huge deal. Break it down for us, Maddie. Do your thing. Yeah, so this is wild. The expectation was somewhere around 180,000 jobs added in the month of November. Of course, as with every month, there's always some kind of peculiarities you have to be aware of. People were wondering how much the GM strike would add or subtract from these numbers. Well, as you said, 265,000 jobs were added in the month of November. Only about 40 to 50,000 of those are GM workers coming back to work. So that means that this job, regardless of this, or this number, regardless of the strike, still blew those expectations out of the water. Now, I mean, the blew the question, expectations out of the water, folks. I mean, no one was expecting this. Because if you've been paying attention, you knew that there was a slowdown in these numbers monthly. A lot of observers were saying this means, you know, even though it's the lagging indicator, that we're going into a recession because job growth is slowing. Well, now, even with this good jobs number today, the last two months were actually updated upwards as well. So that means we've got a three-month moving average of 205,000 jobs added per month, which is still way above what you need to keep place with uh, population growth. So the question, of course, is, are we at full employment? Is this the end of the run? Every time we have a good jobs number, the question is being asked, will this be the last good number we see? Now, we don't know, but the peculiar part is, you know, if you look at the Financial Reserve, you look at CBO, all of the bean counters who, who, who pay attention to these numbers thought that full employment was a heck of a lot worse than it does right now. They were saying at this point in the expansion, full employment would still have about 4.6% unemployment. And of course, the number of the unemployment rate dropped to 3.5% today. So we don't know where all these jobs are coming from. It is an enigma to be this late in the expansion and having these kinds of job numbers, but it is an Well, I want to stay on the line. Going into the year. Stay on the line because I want to play for you what Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, had to say on Bloomberg Television earlier today to my colleague Jonathan Farrow. Take a listen to Kudlow. Here he is. The jobs numbers are actually getting better in recent months. And we scored 266 uh, this time around, plus you got 41,000 revision. 
So from the two prior months, so that actually gets you above 300,000. My point is, despite, I don't know, a certain amount of pessimism, uh, the economy is outperforming expectations. Uh, economic policies from the president are working. And Maddie, just final question before I let you go. And thank you so much. I, I said, I said it, it wouldn't be Jobs Day without Maddie Dupler. Um, <laughs> yeah, my favorite holiday. I, <laughs> I wanted to ask you uh, it, it, just something that you said about whether or not this can be sustained. The uncertainty, the largest uncertainty right now from market watchers as well as geopolitical observers relates to trade policy, especially not even just the the, the U.S.-China trade relations, though that's the yep. dominant uncertainty, but the multi-trade front issues. Uh, now Europe this week was back in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the calculation. I, I would, my question to you would be, should USMCA likely get ratified and then early next year or December 15th that there be U.S.-China stability and there's a stabilizing force in trade policy, that could benefit the economy in the first quarter of next year for and and politically speaking would benefit the pre, the status quo environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so here will be the interesting thing to watch next year. You are absolutely right, Kevin. And the question is, how does this play into trade tensions? Because remember what I just said, we don't know where these jobs are coming from. The fact that people keep coming out of the woodwork and are able to find work is really, really uh, an astounding factor at this point. So the question is, if you get USMCA passed, which is supposed to create 180,000 jobs, if you get U.S.-China trade uh, tensions to ease, which up until this, uh, earlier until the summer, firms were saying U.S.-China trade was a problem for them. But the bigger problem was finding qualified workers. So those two huge economic benefits to the American economy, what that's going to do is create a lot of jobs. The question is, where are we going to get workers to fill them? So, yes, it will certainly look good uh, in a lot of these economic reflections, but it will also create pressure on firms that were already saying it was difficult for them to find workers to begin with. So the question will be, what public policy allows us to keep that, uh, keep that, keep that churn going in a way that doesn't disadvantage firms who need those workers when they have so much demand? and they don't know where to find people to fill those jobs. So smart. Maddie Dupler, have a great weekend. Thanks for calling in. You Appreciate it. And I'm sorry you over you overpaid uh, on your Christmas tree. Me too, but it smells great. It makes my house smell great. So a little bit of Okay, Christmas I'm going to I'm going to totally like out myself right now. I've got a fake tree, but it's up. No, the tree is up. No, it's no, decorated. No. Oh. I know. Coming up much more from the panel. What's on their radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 991. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Just to catch everyone up on the breaking news tonight that we are following, two major stories. Another shooting in Florida at a naval base. Earlier this afternoon, an aviation student from Saudi Arabia opened fire in a classroom at the Naval Air Station Pensacola and attacked the Saudi government, quickly condemned and that the U.S. officials are investigating for possible links to terrorism. Remember, this is the second, sh this is the second shooting this week at a U.S. naval base. Uh, here with me in studio, Al Weaver, national political reporter at The Hill, Eli Yokely, political reporter for Morning Consult, and Ben Chang, who uh, previously was the director of communications at the National Security Council. Ben, what, what do these shootings mean for U.S.-Saudi relations? So, Kevin. Sorry, your mic was off. Go ahead. 
Kevin, thanks for asking. My my first thought, my biggest concern after just our hearts going out to the families affected and those injured and killed is what's happening in the Situation Room right now. In particular, what's happening amongst our intelligence agencies. Something so critical right now in the first hours and days after this sort of incident in Pensacola is how strong are the channels we have with our intelligence counterparts in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And my concern, my worry, is that those relationships are strained uh, post-Jamal Khashoggi and that um, they're being tested right now. And so we need to hope that our, our, our counterparts in intelligence are able to speak with each other and get to the bottom of what happened so we can prevent it in the future. The White House saying that the president has spoken directly with uh, King Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. The other big story tonight, of course, that we're following is that the White House says that they will not participate in the impeachment inquiry hearing. Uh, there's another one on the House Judiciary Committee scheduled for Monday. So the White House will not be sending attorneys to the hearing scheduled on Monday. That, according to a letter from White House counsel Pat Cipollone, that was sent to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. We're following all of these developments, and now it's time for what else we're following with what's on the panel's radar. Uh, Eli, I will start with you. What is on your radar? Well, I'm going to be watching impeachment and seeing if public yes. support moves. The, the one time we've seen public support move significantly was when Nancy Pelosi came out and announced her support for the impeachment inquiry. So I'm curious to see if things will change now. In which now. direction did so it So far, move? it went up. It went up dramatically um, whenever she came out and supported the impeachment inquiry. Since then, it's been flat. We just released Trump's state-by-state -state approval ratings this week, and in 37 states, it went unchanged since the impeachment inquiry began. I mean, and the so. economic number, I mean, I, the president is enjoying some pretty good economic indicators. Yep. 266,000 jobs added. Uh, in the in the last in the last month, according to the jobs numbers today, number one issue to voters is the economy still. Oftentimes, yeah. And I think it was Playbook that had it was Jake and Anna. They they pointed out that any other president with those kinds of economic indicators would be smooth sailing to reelection, but the the current dynamics are so polarized. Yeah, Republicans are fired up behind. Him. It's interesting you meet mentioned polarization. Um, in this poll of like 150,000 voters in, in November, we found the highest share of Republican voters saying they strongly approved of him that we'd got s uh, throughout his presidency. And so uh, he's really fired up his base. They're all rallying behind him. Um, but everything else has been pretty flat. Al Weaver, what's on your radar big besides the Eagles and the Giants? Yeah, I don't want that to be on my radar. Trust <laughs> me. Uh, big have faith. Zero faith. Uh, I know. Big, me too. I have zero big, faith in, in, in them as well. But I, I, but I publicly say I have faith. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even want to watch on Monday, but we'll see. That's not on my radar. Uh -huh. What is on my radar is a big two weeks on Capitol Hill. Yes. Even outside of impeachment, uh, there has to be a spending deal that has to get through. Uh, your funding runs out on the 20th. Uh, and we're going to see what happens on that end. I'm not sure. If, I mean, they're talking about a CR that's going to go through for a couple of months, or at least through uh, into the, into uh, January. But we're really not sure what's going to happen on there. I mean, you never know with the president, especially after last year. We had a 35-day shutdown. Mm. Uh, and impeachment the backdrop. He could throw one wrench into that thing. You can't. Okay, the, the wrench is impeachment. You can't. <laughs> you no, can't, the wrench is, and, a, is, a, is a border wall. 
That's, well, the, that's, that's the other wrench. I, okay, so you've got a border wall. It's like a bad joke. A border wall and an impeachment walk into a CR. What could go wrong? Many um, things. We will find out. Yeah. The government gets shut down. Uh, that's Yes, we have not spent nearly enough time on this program talking about the potential shutdown because of all of the other developments. But I promise you folks, we will be carefully following Peachman that. takes the oxygen. No, but, you know, but it's such an important story, these shutdowns, no matter which side of the aisle you're on, especially for... Uh, Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, uh, Baltimore, you know, the economic impact that that has on small businesses, especially around the holidays, it really gets me angry because you, it, it, because it's it's just games. Here, it's here. games. that here, here. No, I know. And yeah. I'm not on a soap. I know it might sound like I'm on a, a, a really soapbox, but it's, you know, we've all been doing this for how many years where you cover this nonsense and you know who gets, I'm going to watch my, you know who gets hit and punched in the gut? It's, it's. The folks who are going to work who have to get a paycheck late, and that is not right. I, I was one of those back in the day and also native Washingtonian, so I agree with both your points. Yeah, yeah. So here we go again, folks. All right, Ben Chang, what's on your radar? Sticking with national security, I would say North Korea. Yes. Uh, what I would say is you used the high school cafeteria analogy earlier. Uh, if all the kids are in the cafeteria, who's out in the playground putting firecrackers and frogs? That's Kim, uh, That's uh, the dear leader. That's North Korea. And we need to keep an eye on, on <laughs> the figure out in the in the playground blowing stuff up and um the the christmas gift that uh, uh north korea may give us this war of nicknames dotard versus rocket man look between this and the intelligence uh concern around the pensacola shooting reminds us of the the value of career intelligence officers career foreign service officers in light of what uh, Julia Yoff in the G- in GQ wrote this week um, is great concern about the state of our um, institutions from diplomacy to intelligence. I'm going to apologize on your behalf. I will apologize as well. I got very excited about that. All right. Well, okay. You know, what's, you, know, you know what kind of talk that is? That's that's toilet talk. And that is and if we stick with the, radar. If we stick with the high school analogy, I am now no, going stop. to principal's We're office. No, stop. We're done with your analogies. <laughs> I'm now going to principal's <laughs> You're office. You're done, buddy. I am. Um, because now who's going to get in trouble? Kev. Uh... Trump orders toilet rule review, saying people flush 10 times. Take a listen to what President Trump had to say about the EPA earlier today at the White House. People are flushing toilets 10 times, 15 times, as opposed to once. They end up using more water. So EPA is looking at that very strongly, at my suggestion. The president on Friday said he ordered a federal review of water efficiency standards in bathroom fixtures and complained that people are flushing too many times as we just heard the (laughs) the president said it was common. I'm not making this up. The president said it was common sense to review standards, he said, resulted in showers with water quietly dripping out and toilets that end up using more water. Um, So that's what's. I just, you know, today was a weird news day, Eli. That was strange. I wonder how that's going to pull. I wonder how that came up. Is that like a White House problem? Is that, I, is, I, are many people telling him that's a problem? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And I'm not going to talk about it. You toilets. know what else is on my, you're not allowed to <laughs> uh, You know what else is on my radar? I have, I'm on vacation Tuesday through Friday of next week. So I will, I don't know who's filling in for me, but I am um, on Binchang. for the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I am very excited and I'm going to watch the Irishman and I'm going to be rooting for the Eagles and, but I will be here on Monday, but have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you as always for listening. I have a ton of gratitude for your listening. I'm Kevin Cerilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.